boom, boom. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Ghana's Podcast. Today, we have on Kevin Matthews, who is somebody that I, I hold in high regard. So, Kevin, thank you for coming on today, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. And I, I also thought you were still in Dallas. So when I was scheduling this, I had no idea that I was sending it to you like an Eastern time as well. So I'm glad that like we did not get confused. Thank you for figuring that out for me. <laughs> no worries. Um, if you could kind of just tell people who you are and uh, what you do. Yeah, I'm a finance author and investing educator. Started my business back in 2010, and it's my job to make investing simple. So it's whether it's, it's through articles that you may see on Business Insider, through some of the books I've written, and then put out daily content on Instagram and YouTube every day. I love that. And, and the way I found you was through Rich and Regular. So mm-hmm. I was on YouTube, and I, I found like that they were doing these episodes and then I watched yours where you talked about being from Tulsa and just all that it meant for you. And I, I was like, oh, like, let me follow this guy. And then it's been really nice to kind of see all the content, all content that you provide. Uh, I think my personal favorites are just like your YouTube videos that you post. And I'll just be like cooking or folding laundry. And now I'm like learning about the stock market. Yeah, I appreciate that because that's, that's funny because that's that's what I use YouTube for. Is <laughs> what <Yeah>. I'm like, <laughs> I'm cutting the yard or something like that. I'm like listening to something like, hey, I've learned something new, so I'm I'm glad that people are using the content in that way. Yeah, no, it's it's so digestible too, and that's why. Also, what do you think separates you from? Because I don't know if people understand this, but like there are industries that are becoming like saturated with influencers. So there's the <laughs> fitness industry with influencers. There is tech industry with influencers and I feel like there's financial influencers mm-hmm. so do you, what do you think separates you from like a lot of some of the the financial influencers out there in the industry that's that's a great question I think for me I I try to lean on my experience and relatability so while there are a lot of influence out there some are really really great some that you know rich and regular being one of them that are, are amazing at what they do However, for me, I'm one of the few that have been in the industry. So I managed $140 million. So it's not like, oh, I just, you know, here's my little blog or whatever. It's like, no, I I did this. (laughs) So I, yeah, the the content that I try and give is, is not here's what worked for me or this one time I got lucky. It's here's what I've done for very successful people. And I'm giving you the exact same information that they have. No, I love that because something that I see in my industry is a lot of people that maybe they look great, but they don't know like the science behind what they're telling people, or maybe they're advising people in incorrect ways. It's not the safest information to prescribe, you know, like a client. So when I look at the the financial industry, like it just does seem really saturated with a lot of people that don't take context into account. There a lot of people seem like they are um, privileged as well. And so when I see somebody like you, that's like, you've actually done the work before and now you're providing like these very simple, tangible steps. Like I, I, I love everything about that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. And so it was rich and regular it's you. And then there's Carmen, Carmen Perez. And I think y'all are like my top three people I, I follow for like financial tidbits because I started investing in, in gosh, during the pandemic, probably with like half of America at this point, it was during that pandemic. But, um, what would you say has been your biggest takeaways from when you first started investing to like where you're at now? Man, so I I started I started when I was this so when it was 2014. No, I'm sorry, 2012 was when I started 
quote unquote for real. That's when I had my first real job. Um, I had invested in 2010. I, it was like $300. It was only $300 I had, <laughs> but that's yeah. what I, you know, I made that that first investment did go well. Um, <laughs> but as a as more serious investor, I started investing in 2012. And the evolution between now and then is that it's become a lot more accessible, which is great. You know, Robin Hood was in its early stages. You still had to pay like five or $10 every time you had to buy and sell a stock. And it wasn't, it wasn't easy. There weren't a whole bunch of like, oh, I can do this like in two minutes on my, on my phone, right? I had to log into a computer and all that kind of stuff. And that, that wasn't that long ago. Um, so to see that it's, it's evolved, it's become commonplace where like everybody owns something, whether it's good yes. or bad, which is, which is good, right? <laughs> um, and you can start to make, make investing really easy and really cheap too, which I think is great. Yeah, it's that's such a good point that you bring up. I'm so big on accessibility in any type of industry. Um, and so, again, when I started to invest prior to that, anytime I thought of like investing, I just thought of, to be frank, like white people in business suits. Like it was never something that I thought or I could envision myself doing mm-hmm. um, or that I belonged like in that area to do. And so when I realized how accessible investing was, I was like, well, this is a game changer because that's you know, a gateway to like creating generational wealth where you're creating like a different way of life for your family in the future. Right, right. And and that's, that's what it looked like. <laughs> you know, it was a bunch of old white guys. I was, when I was an advisor, only 5% of advisors are people of color. And that's it. Wow. So it was, it was hard to find somebody like a mentor to help you to, to kind of learn the ropes. And once investing became a little more, open a lot easier a more democratized as some people would say that's when it things started to tick up and you know like I, I know Carmen comes with my, my good friends and when I started meeting people like that I'm like oh I'm not alone and the funny thing is she and I actually worked maybe five blocks apart which is when, when we were really? both in New York yeah <laughs> it was like I, I met her at some conference and then saw her walking to work I'm like wait a minute we're you're up the street. <laughs> so it's really cool because you start to see people who look like you. You start to see people who are in the same industries and it starts to feel a lot more like home and you can start to pick up notes and learn from each other and, and really build that community. I love that. And then when you were working out there in New York, was it in the, the FIDI or the financial district area somewhere around there? Yeah, eventually I, I moved down there. Um, and when I first got to New York City, like 2014 or so, I actually started working in the Bronx in Westchester County. So that's like, wow. you know, not where most people, when people think of New York, that's not what everybody thinks of. No. Um, and then as I moved in my career, I actually moved further down and actually worked on Wall Street. So the building I worked in was, it was on Broadway, but right behind me was the New York Stock Exchange. Right in front of me was the Wall Street bull that people Whoa. see all the time. Yeah, the bull. So, I was, yeah, I was yeah. literally about to bring that up. Yeah. So at, at the end of my career uh, in New York, it was really cool. It's like, wow, I finally feel like I'm I'm here now. You know, even though I was, I was yeah. doing the same job, I was doing the exact same job. <laughs> but to finally be down there was like, look, mom, like it finally looks like, you know, the movies. I, I love that. There was a, a day when I was in New York visiting um, in September, I was meeting a friend in the financial district to go to lunch because that's where she lives. And mm-hmm. it was only my second day in New York. So that morning I had gone to the Today Show and I fist bumped mm-hmm. Al Roker, which is like something I'm so happy about because he was on the yeah. Proud family. Um, but at that time, dude, I did not know how to use the railroad or the subway system. So I mm-hmm. walked from, I guess, Rockefeller Center all the way down to Financial District. Yeah, and it was so long, dude. It's, New York is 
ginormous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It it feels small, right? Like in terms of like you know, you look up the area, or whatever. But it, it can be quite a ways, and you, that was a that's a walk. <laughs> yeah, my feet hurt, bro. Like I'm not sure if my feet have recovered since. So, <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you what made you kind of get interested in investing. Was it just because I don't want to say that everybody that works in like finance and it, it advises money invests. I feel like that's not true at all. Um, so what kind of made you want to start investing your money in 2010 and then more consistently in 2012? Yeah. So in 2010, I had an internship um, with ING Investment Management, which is now Voya. And they're a retirement company where they just, you know, manage your 401k and your stuff, stuff like that. Now, when I got into it, I didn't know what none of that stuff was. And, you know, I took the internship. It was 10 weeks. They paid for everything. I'm just like, oh, this is great. I'm from Oklahoma. So it was all new stuff to me. But when they sat me down and were telling me about, you know, investing and how it works, I was just confused and frustrated. And it didn't really click for me until like the second to last day. So Mm -hmm. we're talking, you know, 10 and a half weeks or nine and a half weeks of me just being confused and trying to catch up. And then it finally clicked. I'm like, this was really simple. Y'all dragged me along for nine weeks and did all these fancy charts and graphs and all these terms when you could have broke it down real simply. This this is not okay. Like I need to like blow the whistle, tell everybody how simple this can be. And that's when I started getting getting interested in investing. Interesting. And is that do you think that's kind of the inception of your building bread story where you yeah, kind of, you run your own business now, but I, again, I'm huge on closing knowledge gaps and increasing mm-hmm. accessibilities for others in whatever role I'm serving people. And it seems like you're doing exactly that with your company building bread. Yeah, that was that was exactly it. So after that summer, I grabbed as many books as I could to figure out how to launch a <laughs> website, you know, and end up launching in September of, of 2010. And the internship was over and I th- it must have been like August or so of 2010. And it was it was basically that, like, how do I make this simple? People were using like, you know, I'm long this company, I'm shorting here. I'm like, just say you bought it. Okay, yeah, you, you buy, yeah. buy and sell. I don't need all these words. <laughs> you know? um, and that, that stuff just really used to frustrate me. And no one was there at the time to, to just sit down and, and break it down. And no one was on like a YouTube back then to make it real simple. Yeah, that's so interesting because I do think there are benefits to getting thrown into the fire. So you you really learn as you go. But I also think the other end of that is the 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 fire hydrant, you know, example where you're just getting like an information of fire hydrant, you know, going down your mouth and you never like conceptualize anything. You never understand it. And then you're kind of just turned off from that point on. Yeah. Yeah. Like, again, like you said, there's there's some value of just being thrown out there. The problem is how long is it going to take you to catch up, right? So for me, it took me nine and a half weeks to catch up. Like I could have been more valuable to the company and to myself had I known what to do on day one. It maybe the learning curve could have been a lot faster. Um, so it, it's always good to just, hey, here are the basics and you build up from there and start to progress and get better every day as mm-hmm. opposed to starting off confused and wasting a year, a year and a half before things start to make sense. Do you ever think about what would have happened if that didn't click with you on that second to last day? I haven't actually thought about that. It probably just because of the, the type of person that I am, I just probably would have just kept clicking like something has to work, even though, you know, even though I I'm, may have missed that opportunity. 
Um, but but yeah, it's I'm someone's like this has to make sense, even if it's over. Like I have mm. to figure out what went wrong, what went right, and how can I do better. So I like that. Yeah, that's, yeah, so that's it, just it, kind of the person you are. Yeah, yeah. That's dope. And then I, I wanted to ask you too. You well, a couple of things are completely unrelated to. Uh, you also got your MBA at UT as well, right? Mm-hmm. What was that like being like from Oklahoma? And then, you know, you're like a Sooner fan. such a, So my, what was it like to go into the heart of Texas or did you do it online? So it was a hybrid program because nice. by the time, uh, so technically mine's a, a degree in entrepreneurship, which falls under the MBA program, but it was a hybrid program for a year where we were in Austin some weeks. We actually went to Singapore for a little bit before the world wow. closed down. And I was, we were the last class to actually travel internationally. So we got lucky there. Yeah. And um, it, it was a good fit because when the pandemic hit and classes were online, you know, for everyone, there wasn't much adjustment for me. So sure. that, that actually worked out. But being um, a Sooner Longhorn or however you want to, <laughs> however you want to catch that, um, it was awkward. You know, I, I grew up, I thought I will never go to that school. I don't care how, you know, <laughs> what they say. And then I ended up going, I'm like, oh man, what am I doing in my life? <laughs> it's such a great school though, academically. Like it, it really does provide a lot of value. I feel like brothers, I never went there, but it, it does ring like some prestige when you say UT for academics. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. I had no idea. Cause I was, you know, as a, as a kid, I was just, I'm here to hate them for football. So I didn't, <laughs> I didn't care about ac- academics at 18, but yeah. then, you know, at, at 28, I'm like, Oh wow. They, uh, they're pretty good. And, you know, and ac- academically I might have to actually look at them and um, they ended up being one of my top choices. And I, to this day, like if I were to go back in time and just tell myself like, you're going to end up being a UT grad, I would have laughed. There's no <laughs> way I would have thought I would have ended up there. I think that's so cool that you went there because, again, that MBA program at UT is is pretty exceptional from what I've heard. And then my other unrelated question I wanted to ask you was, was what did it feel like when you became verified on Instagram? What does that process look like? And yeah, did you just act completely different that next day? Like I would have been like, yo, like I'm verified now. I would have been a different person. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like that. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm rich now, <laughs> which is not true. Like you get no money for that. <laughs> But you just you just feel like you can do a few more things. Yeah. Um, for me, it's it's been an interesting process. It's it's kind of automated and and kind of weird and wonky. You can apply for it, but you know I was featured in like the Wall Street Journal in 2014 or 15, and then like I've I've been in different publications. You have to submit and say here are the places you've been. You know you're cited. You're a legit person. You have credentials. All this kind of stuff, which I've had for a little bit. I'm like, why can I get verified? And I've yeah. tried at least six or seven times. Um, so this last time, it, it finally went through, and they don't tell you that you're verified either, which is a funny thing. They don't. So, no, no. They'll they'll tell you when you're not verified. But I, you know, I ver- sent the sent the application in, and then woke up the next morning and somebody commented something stupid. So I was like, oh yeah, I was like, was typing back and hit send and there's a little blue check there. I'm like, oh, oh, is this, is this a glitch? Is this a glitch? Is this real? Um, so it's, it's definitely fun. It's, it's cool. It helps you stand out a bit more. Um, yes, absolutely. But it, you know, you do, you do act a little bit different when it's, when you do. Oh, get dude, that, I would have been ordering hors d'oeuvres and just, you know, <laughs> I would have been, did you go get a steak dinner that, that day though, to celebrate yourself? I, I didn't. I did get some tacos, though. Hey. I did get some, some celebration tacos. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I, I love that. And also, it just seems kind of like ass backwards that they tell you when you're not verified, but they won't tell you or send you a celebratory email or anything. Yeah, I, I don't know why, but I'll I'll take it. I'm not going to complain anymore, <laughs> even That's though I have um, I wanted to ask you, it, I, I think it's imperative that people invest. And I, what I love about your message, too, and again, this is so different. It's, there's a large disparity in which what I see, like in the influencer space of, of finances, but you're also like, it doesn't matter if it's $2 a day or, or $2 a week, like just kind of get in that habit of investing because when, when the time comes and you are able to invest more, you have that reflex that's been created. So why is it so imperative for people to invest and kind of build their future? Yeah, I would say the first thing is investing is really paying yourself in the future. I know people are like, you know, you should you should save now and have the emergency fund and all that kind of stuff, which is absolutely true. But I'm not only looking for the paycheck right now, but I'm also I want to make sure that I have enough in the future so that my job, my day job, what I'm doing right now, all this stuff becomes optional. And I think the only way or the most efficient way to do that is to start investing now. And some people get into a, a headspace where they're like, well, you know, it's only $50, it's only $100, it's not going to make a difference. And I'm like, it, it actually will. It's a, a bigger difference than nothing. And, you know, I, I think the thing that frustrates me a, a bit is back in the day, when I say back in the day, I'm like 10 or 15 years ago, you literally couldn't invest with $100. And now you can. Like, this is, this, that was the biggest barrier for me when I started is if Amazon was $1,000 a share. I could, there were no fractional shares. I couldn't do anything with that, but now I can. I just want people to, to take advantage of investing at whatever their budget is, because when you make more, it's easier to start investing because you built that habit already. Yeah, that, that's so true, man. I remember, um, I'll, I'll share like two anecdotal stories, but I worked at Lululemon in retail for like three years. And this was when I was in grad school. Uh, I opened up like a 401k. And so when I left that job, I think I had around sixteen or seventeen hundred dollars in there, but it was actually like two thousand or twenty one hundred, and that's just because mm-hmm. the fund it was in over the course of two to three years had grown like four hundred dollars. Yeah, and I just think that's the perfect example of like each paycheck I'm automatically deducting like just a little bit, and I high key like forgot about it too. Yeah, and then it's like oh, there's a surplus of four hundred dollars in here that I literally did not do anything to earn. Right, right. And and that's the thing, like it, it grows. And that's the most important thing. One of the articles, I, one of the, the first articles I wrote for Business Insider was about how my son had more money than I did at 18. And I, I worked, I, I had jobs, plural, when I was 18. <laughs> and he, and you know, it was like, maybe three or $4,000 that he had, I, I had finally saved up like 2000. And I'm like, the boy is two. Yeah. Imagine, right. If, if I did nothing else for him, he's already better off than where I was. But if we do nothing else and allow that money just to grow and grow and grow until he's 18, he's going to be at a much better spot. But the only reason he's there is not because I'm rich, because I, I ain't doing nothing but $200 a month. That's $50 every week. It's the fact that it's growing and then we did it early and we had, we gave him enough time to allow that money to grow and compound. Yeah. And, 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 First off, I think that's incredible. I've, I've read that article on Insider where it's like, at the age of two, my son is going to have more money than I did at the age of 18. And I, that's such like a, 
like a buzzworthy tagline, but it's, it really opens your eyes of like, wow, that's the power of investing. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's cool on, you're kind of creating that, that generational wealth at only $50 a week. Right, right. And that's the thing. I, I don't think people realize the earlier you start, the cheaper it is. I think that's, that's, that's key. So if you're starting in your 30, you're starting in your 25 or even your teenager, it makes it way easier. If you're starting at 40 or 50, you can still do it, right? But it's going to cost you a whole lot more money to hit the goal you're trying to hit. And could you kind of explain to people too, because like time, nothing beats time in the market, right? Because you said that that compound interest. So could you explain to people what kind of compound interest is and maybe give like an example of like $10 now, but in three years, it's $14 or just the return you see on, on investing, maybe in like BOO or something. Yeah. So generally we, we say that the stock market as a whole, right. Let's just the entire stock market, all, you know, let's say 500 companies or something like that. There are more than that, but we'll just use that as an example. On average, you're going to get about 7% per year. So that means that when I invest $100 in year one, I'm ending up with $1 and and, uh, $107. That $7 is now going to grow the next year another 7%. So it's $100 plus the seven times another 7% the next year. So I'm growing my money and the money that grew is also growing for me. And that's, that's one way to look at it. So it's really think of it like a snowball that rolls downhill and gets larger and larger and larger. That's what compounding interest is. And it's just money on top of money that compounds together to make bigger amounts down the line. It's kind of mind boggling to me. And like that, that's such a great example that you gave. And that's all without even throwing more money on top of that, like a reoccurring like $20 a week or so. I, I think when you explain it that way, hopefully people will be like, oh, $10 a week will make a difference or in the way I view it is like purchases, right? Maybe like Mm -hmm. instead of buying like new jeans every month, or maybe instead of buying six drinks a week, I'll buy four drinks and instead I'll invest that $25 or, or I just feel like there's so many different ways to kind of, you know, orient money into being invested as opposed to just being spent. Yeah, I mean, money is a tool, right? It is is something that I can use to to build my future. It's something I can use to to buy the things I like right now. And for example, what I like to do is is use that money to to grow and then and use it for things I like to enjoy as well. So, for example, from January 2020 to December 2021, okay, if I put in fifty dollars into a stock like Costco by December of 2021, I would have had thirty eight hundred dollars. Now I only Wait. invested. Yeah. Can you, can you say that again? <laughs> yeah. So from January 2020 to December of 2021, if all I did was invest just $50 a month into Costco, so that's $600 a year from January to December 2020, January to December 2021. So $600 each year, right? $50 yeah. a month. If I did that, that's $1,200 total. If I'd invested and put that $50 a month into Costco, I'd have $3,800 at the end of December of 2021. So I could have, what, more than doubled my money in, in putting in something like that. And guess what? My, my money grew. I can take a little bit of that and, and buy something if I wanted to, right? Or I can keep investing and see where it's going to go, you know, 10 years from now. But it's, it's the little things, right? Just the little things can really add up. 
I'm like, I'm processing that still, but that just, <laughs> again, that's such a, a great tangible example of something as simple as Costco and then $50 a month, 3,800, man, 3,800. That's, that's great. Um, I wanted to ask you, what do people, I feel like a lot of people and even myself at times get caught up with, man, like, should I wait for something to happen for prices to go down? Should I buy now? And again, I, I really, I watched a, a great video of yours the other day where you were like, just DCA it or dollar cost average it, like just stay consistent. Could you kind of explain to people the importance of just staying consistent as opposed to trying to time something? Yeah, it is extremely difficult to, to time the market or to wait until the next crash because you never really know in the moment. And, you know, if everybody knew, hey, the crash is going on this day and this is the bottom, then everybody would do that. The problem is nobody really knows. And there is an old video that's floating out there. I don't know if it's on Facebook or YouTube where I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if Amazon is going to go past 2,500. Lo and behold, right? It's, it's well above 3000 now. So like when people say, oh, it's too expensive or it's too high, five years from now, you're going to look back like, oh man, I, I should have got it then, right? It's, it's all relative. And then people who say they want to wait until the market falls, well, fall to what? Like that's, you know, in, in 2020, when the pandemic hit, it fell 35% and people still waited. Well, I'm waiting on it to bottom out. Well, at what point, right? Yeah. Um, so instead of trying to time it and guess what, what is low and what is high, the best thing is to, to say, look, I'm going to buy it now. I'm going to buy it tomorrow. I'm going to buy it next week, right? So I don't have to, to guess. And the worst, thing is you want, the worst thing you want to avoid is to not invest and wait three years for a quote unquote dip. And it's like, well, that was three years of growth that you completely missed out on because you were waiting for something magic to happen. Wait, is that is that a thing? Like, are you aware of people that have actually waited like a couple of years to throw money in? Yes. Wow. Yeah, I, just, I had a client. Yeah. So this was might have been 2017. And, you know, I had a client say, oh, the market is crazy right now. It's really high. I just, I just want to sit here and wait until it comes down. Well, it really didn't. It wouldn't come down until what, 2020. And the market dropped in. And obviously, I, she wasn't client anymore at that point in time. I'm like, you had you waited three years for that. And yeah. that's assuming she even invested in. I don't know. But the, the stock market, as of today anyway, the stock market has only been down five times since the year 2000. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, not, it's not down as often as people think. You don't have your bad days, right? But just invest as soon as you can. Allow that money to grow. And you're going to be better off. What would you say are some practical tips for somebody that is wanting to... They've never invested. They know that they want to. They just don't know how. And when I ask you, like, what are some tips? I'm more asking, like, are you would you recommend someone go out and buy like, you know, a single stock or would you start with like an index fund, something that kind of is taking, you know, certain companies together? What, what, what's your recommendation there? Usually, if you're brand new, I would recommend an index fund for those that may not know. An index fund is, is a collection of stocks packaged together. The way that I like to explain it as a sports fan, it's the difference between buying what you think is going to be the best team versus buying what you buying the entire league. So 
and instead of saying, look, I'm going I'm to invest in the Lakers, which aren't doing well at this point in time, I'm just going to buy the entire NBA. It doesn't matter what team is going to do well. This entire investment is going to do well on average. So that's that's what an index fund is. So it takes the guesswork out. I don't have to be right about every single company because I own them all. Yeah, that's that's such a great way to put it. I know I'm a huge fan of, of VOO is I think my my portfolio is like 80 to 85 index one and 15% kind of just like Apple and just other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I know that when I first started out, I was way too spread out. I think I had anywhere from 10 to 15 different like individual stocks as like somebody that started on day one. So like, I don't even yeah. know what I was doing. Um, and now I'm almost a year and a half into it. And it's really just like, VOO, Apple, and like two or three other things. It's very consolidated. Yeah. And I think when you're when you're starting, you want to have it be simple, right? You got something, worst case scenario, VOO is going to be that backbone, right? And then you can add a little bit more by having Apple. But then let's let's say you bought something that didn't go well. It's like, eh, okay, that was only, you know, five percent or whatever it whatever it is, and it's not gonna blow up everything. And that that's an approach where some people don't necessarily do that, where they'll jump in and say, I'm putting everything in AMC, I'm putting everything in, in Dogecoin or something crazy. <laughs> and then it works for a day or two, and then they wake up tomorrow and everything's gone, right? So I think it's important for new investors to start off with the basics, right? Get your training wheels first. And then the further you go, the more you can kind of add that that more fun, exotic stuff if you want. Were you did did were you involved with some of the GameStop stuff and and amc or were you kind of just watching from the sidelines laughing did you do I, some swing trades no i didn't uh i stayed on the sidelines and, and kind of watched and laughed for the most part it, i mean it was it was fun to watch because it wasn't my money um, <laughs> but you know it's, it's interesting uh, i i don't like to see people lose but it you know sometimes it's it's irrational right some some people want that lotto ticket and some people got lucky and for those that did i'm like great right like i'm glad you glad you made your money glad you got out don't go back though um, yeah <laughs> kind of like a casino um <laughs> but the funny thing was I, I had someone on my email list and just just covering it just talking about like hey this is what happened with gamestop today and she happened to have bought it years before this occurred now i don't know she paid 23 dollars a share whatever it was and she emailed me back and was like oh my god thank you for telling me about this because i forgot i owned it and at the time oh, gamestop was up like you know, double or triple whatever she paid for it. So she she walked out with a nice profit, but she didn't even oh, know she had it. You know, so that was that was pretty cool. That that's good for her. Yeah. Um, that whole debacle was pretty funny. E- even the hearings to see like Roaring Kitty go up there and and, and he's like on Zoom talking to people, and it's just so funny to watch the highlights of that. And this, mm-hmm. the Reddit too is going off. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, what are some misconceptions you think people have about investing? Oh, yeah, I would say the biggest one, other than the fact that people think it's complicated, and it doesn't have to be people think that you need tons and tons of money, and you don't. So those are those are two. But the other big one I, I hear a lot is that it's gambling. And that's not the case either. There's risk. But there's, a, there's a difference between just, you know, a risk and a gamble. When you gamble, you don't own the casino. You don't, you know, it is it is quite rigged against you, right? The, the house knows exactly how much you're going to lose when, they, when you walk through that door. Whereas investing, I own shares of that company. When I walk into Target, I walk into Target like I own that thing because I do. <laughs> and, you know, it's when Target does well, I do well. When you gamble, 
the 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 casino does well when you lose and you're you're on opposite ends of the spectrum so inherently they are not the same um it doesn't mean right that doesn't mean there aren't any risk right but investing is is actual ownership it is putting you in the exact same space as the as the company itself and it's supposed to be mutually beneficial whereas gambling is not yeah no i couldn't agree more i've heard the um it's riskier like you're you're just i've heard that you're throwing your money away thing quite a bit um and i i do think that's like a little fear-based but again Mm -hmm. like upbringings and other environmental factors like i I understand people's outlooks on that Mm -hmm. um i wanted to ask you how do you kind of come up with content too because you post quite a bit i think it's is it like two videos a week well no so on youtube it's five videos a week monday through friday I'm sorry. I, I interviewed a chef who last week, who, by the way, his name is Food Freak. If you haven't checked out his YouTube, it's not another cooking show. If you like cooking, really mm-hmm. easy to do recipes, but he does two a week. You do five a week, right? Yeah. Yeah. So some, some weeks are easier than others for me. Um, so the way that I, I will generally get my content is one, I have alerts on a bunch of different companies. So on a, you know, for example, the day that we're recording this, Microsoft is buying Activision. Guess yeah, what my next yeah. video, right? So guess what my next video is going to be? So that, this is like an easy day for me. I already <laughs> own Microsoft. I'm like, perfect. I don't have to stress about what I'm going to talk about today. So that's always one. Uh, number two is I, I keep a bank of questions that people ask. So right. if I'm not able, if I ever run out of questions or, you know, I'm, I'm short on something, I'll kind of go back and thumb through those questions and make a video about that. And then other times I'll, I'll look on, Instagram or TikTok and see what's popular, see what people are talking about, and then put my own spin on it Hmm. to say like, hey, this is what I think about what such and such said, or this is my take about whatever topic people are talking about. So for example, um, every year, and I don't know why, because it annoys me, but every year people are always talking about, do you want $8 million or a perfect credit score? I'm just like, do we have to talk about this? But when it does pop up, I don't have anything else to talk about. (laughs) I'll go and see like, what are the popular to- financial topics and how can I, you know, give it, give it my voice and flavor. Have you seen the one where it's like, would you take, I don't know, $5 million or would you take an hour dinner with Jay-Z? Yes. <laughs> I hate that one too. <laughs> that's, my, that's my least favorite one of all time. Cause you will get some people that are dead ass serious answering on Twitter of like, Oh, I'm taking it with Jay-Z the stuff I could learn that I'm like, just take the money, man. Yeah. Just, just take the money. Cause he's not <laughs> going to give you something that you haven't already read or that you can't watch him talk an hour on YouTube or something, but it's like, he's going to get there. You sit down at the table and he's like, Hey, I got this business idea. All it costs is $8 million. And it's like, mm, I don't have that. <laughs> right. Exactly. And then you're back to square one. Um, I love too, that you kind of have this question bank of, of questions that people ask you. Cause I think a key piece of keeping clients or, or customers happy is always kind of listening to that feedback or, you know, addressing questions that they have. So I think it's pretty cool that that's kind of like your fallback on days that are kind of tougher to come up with content. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that that kind of plays into my strength. So b- before going into finance, I was a teacher and that's pretty much what you do is answer questions. And it's it's the thing that I enjoy doing because it really helps me to understand where are people right now and how can I most directly help? So it's always fun because depending on who it, who it was, where they asked it from, like, hey, look, you know, this question came from Michael and, and go out and answer it. So it makes it fun, makes it engaging. And I think that's too where I've been able to see like your approach is so just, 
it's transparent, but you're meeting people where they're at. You know, mm-hmm. you're not giving these crazy concept ideas and you're not speaking with all the jargon. You're just like breaking it down. So I think that in your approach, your, your, your past with education kind of shines through. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate that. And that's, that's a part of, of what I wanted to have. I wanted to make finance approachable. I wanted to make sense. And I wanted people to walk away with something to do. Not like, oh man, that was really complex. Let me go look up all the words he just said. I want people to be able to say, look, I, I watched the video. I can now understand this better. or I can understand how to make my next move. Yeah. That's something that I, I kind of have problems, not problems. They're really just like my own personal failings, but like it's taken me a while to grasp options, tradings and things like that. So I haven't even touched that yet because I'm not trying to waste my money. Um, and then two, you, you get into cryptocurrency, it becomes real jargony very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that whole, like, I'm, I'm for it, but it's also like, because it's at the inception with crypto and web three, there's going to be a lot of people that get swindled in my opinion. Uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, and that's, and that's a part, cause people ask me like, do you talk about NOTs? Do you talk more about crypto? And I'll be honest with you. The, the answer is no, but the answer is no, not just because it's, it's new. It's because I don't feel like I know enough about mm. it yet. And I yeah. make it a point to say, look, I don't know this thing and I'm not going to teach you about something I don't know until I feel like I fully understand it. Because what I, what I never want to do is get up here in front of people and talk about stuff I don't understand and then lead people the wrong way. So before I bring it up to someone or before I bring it up on the channel, it's here's what I know. And again, my strength is here's what I've actually done. Here's what I know works. And a lot of what I talk about too, just like I said with Costco and, and other things, is that I have enough history to, to rely on to say, the past 50 years, this thing happened, therefore it's reliable in, in this, this situation, right? I don't know enough. We don't have any enough. We don't have any um, history when it comes to NFTs in the same way or with crypto in the same way. Because you can come up with a crypto coin tomorrow and it might blow up, it might not. But I don't have any history, any backing, no serious research to say whether or not this is something that's reliable in certain situations. What do you think? helped you come to that point where you're comfortable with saying, I don't know, because I think that's a skill set that a lot of people possess. And then a lot of people don't possess that. So what do you think in your, you know, your entire career, can you pinpoint a time when you were like, okay, that's where I learned how to say, I don't know, comfortably. I'm not sure. It's something that definitely grew on me. I think when I first started, I wanted to, to be the end-all be-all expert for every single thing out there. And I think the, the older I got, and I was just like, I don't have to do that, right? And yeah. I've also <laughs> seen, I think Twitter is, is a good teacher in some ways, as crazy as Twitter can be. But I think I've seen people get grilled about things they didn't know about. And I was like, hmm, I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> so, you know, watching other people kind of fall apart, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm going to stick to my lanes. You know, yeah. I can learn and, and grow as I grow. But um, what I'm not going to do is get out here and be loud and wrong as, as many times as possible. Yeah, I think I, I know how to say I don't know or yeah, I don't know, because when I was in grad school, I did a lot of research. And what comes with that is just kind of getting grilled by PhDs. And like, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to get grilled, just talking out my butt. So I was always real big on like saying I don't know, because I, I, I do think that's a skill that kind of helps you transcend into like a different version of yourself. If you can kind of like be accountable and you, you can say, I don't know, then that kind of, it's like a, a growing opportunity in my opinion. Right. 
what kind of services do you offer with with building bread um which is like the company that you run because also you're busy man like youtube you got like you're on twitter you're on instagram you're creating like infographics on on instagram you also have a real job too and then you run your own business also you're a dad and a husband how do you do all of this yeah uh no sleep <laughs> i'm kidding <laughs> um i so my daughter is almost one and a half so there is some truth to the no sleeping um but other than her keeping me up um just it's just really time management so the, the thing that i believe in and that works for me is that i identify as someone who is an investor and this is just a part of what I do. So and I also try to be as efficient as possible. So when I sit down and I'm, you know, a part of my day, daily habits is to read about the market every day. Now it doesn't have to be an hour every day. Sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's 10 minutes. And when I sit down and create a video, it's, it's more natural to me because I've practiced and I've done this for close to 12 years now. So I'll do that. And you know, sitting, sitting down like a conversation like this is easy. This, this could be a video, right? <laughs> and I'll take that, chop it up, make an Instagram post, you know, translate it, put it on Twitter and then put it on TikTok. So it's, it's the same thing. So I'm really efficient with the way I create that content. Um, but I think a lot of it is practice. I think, um, you know, if I was doing this much content when I first started, it would be really, really difficult. Hmm. Um, but now that I'm, you know, a lot more seasoned, it comes, it, it has become a lot easier for me. Yeah, I, I could definitely notice. Yeah, I, I, again, I watched a lot of your YouTube videos and I think last week I was like, man, he just seems like so comfortable on the screen. And uh, again, like there's so many content creators out there. You can kind of tell like some people aren't as comfortable or some people may be just starting, but you kind of seem like right in the pocket. You're kind of like, right against that wall you're like looking at your computer or whatever and you're talking to the camera so I, I think you got like a really cool setup going on yeah I appreciate it and, and that's the thing like some of that experience um makes you more comfortable and some of that prep time just makes you more comfortable and I think too and it's something I've, I've learned from watching other youtubers and friends where that repetition is 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 there so like I used to do maybe in 2018 or so, like one live stream a week and call it Wealth Wednesdays. And those were okay. But then when I started to do five times a day, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll go from getting, you know, 52 reps, right? Going back to like exercise or whatever, what have you, 52 reps a, a year to 250, right? So you start to get, you start to get real good real quick after that third or fourth week. Yeah. And it starts to, you know, it starts to really build that habit and that muscle. What, um, what do you offer with building bread? Cause I was looking at your website and it's something that I know in time I'll be joining like some of those groups or the cohorts mm -hmm. that you have, um, whether they're, they're chat boards or kind of just being under your tutelage. Um, so what are some things that you offer with your company? Yeah. So I, I offer my books that, that teach people how to, how to start investing from burning the blueprint is my most recent book. I offer, um, free courses on how you can start investing. You can register for those. I teach a class almost every day. Um, that's at buildingbread.com slash free class. And all this stuff is, is on the website as well. And then I do paid courses where we take you from point A to point B on I've never invested before to here's how I can create that first six or seven figure portfolio. Like how do I start from, from ground zero? And then a part of that course, we sit down every month and we'll do live calls to say, 
you know, what questions do you have? How can we improve the course? But also, and more importantly, here's what's going on in the market right now. Here's how we want to be active in understanding what's going on. And we do that every month. Yeah, because the the value I see, and that's what I would be most excited for is those like monthly kind of forums, because mm-hmm. the, the true value I see is, okay, if I'm just doing this myself, you know, I'm, I'm doing index funds, I'm doing great. But other than that, there's no growth stocks, which I can kind of like, you know, take a profit real quick and then mm-hmm. re-throw that into an index fund. So I think for me, at least, if I were to do, you know, your classes and then that forum thing, what it would look like is, yeah, I'm still throwing money in um, to my my VOO and my index funds, but I'm also getting in on some of these stocks where I can see 20% growth in a span of three months, and then I can get out if I want to. Like, I think that's like kind of like a, a big benefit of, of doing like your your services. Yeah, and I think that's that's something that came up relatively recently, maybe two two and a half years ago, when I started to see that my students were, were more into that, like, yeah, long-term, which everybody should be doing, they definitely want to do as well. But it's like, while I'm building that long-term philosophy, while I'm building that bridge, what can I do right now? And that's why we started to add those things into the course. Yeah, no, I, I think that's so smart. Because yeah, long-term is great, um, but it's not sexy. And I'm okay with that. But like, mm-hmm. it'd be cool to kind of swing trade something, not in a day, but yeah. more like, maybe in like four months in that time mm-hmm. span, you know? Right. Um, so I know I, I wanted to ask you as well, cause you're also, so you've written financial books as well, but you also have a book over black wall street and you're from Tulsa. So could you kind of just explain, uh, what it means to be from Tulsa, but also the book that you wrote as well? Yeah. So the, the book is from burning the blueprint, how to rebuild black wall street after a century of silence. And the book walks you through what happened during the Tulsa race massacre. It walks you through what happened in the few years after that. And then my plan and philosophy on how to rebuild black generational wealth. And for me, it was a really revealing process to go through that because there were things that I did not know about my own hometown while Mm -hmm. writing that book. And I didn't know, you know, for example, it, it was not mandated to be taught in schools in Oklahoma up until like the year the book came out, which was in 2021, which is ridiculous. And for so long, one, there were so many things I was learning growing up that just like came to light and some things were rumors, you're not really sure. And then you start to see on HBO, I was like, well, wait a minute. Yeah. You know, like how, why is everybody finding out about this 90 years later, 100 years later? And it wasn't until I was researching the book was that the reason why so many people didn't know about it is because the first state commission, the first state study on it didn't happen until 2001. This was 80 years after it occurred in 1921. So when you start to, when you get your first report in 2001, you're like, well, wait a minute. I've only had really 20 years to dig up all of this information. And that's why so many people start to find out about it for the first time in the last year or two. Yeah, that that blows my mind. I, I remember vividly being a student at OU. This was like 2014, 2015. Mm-hmm. And I, I learned about it and it, it blew my mind because when I heard about the, the race massacre, it was almost like, like that couldn't have happened like that. There's no way. And then you realize that it's actually something true and horrific that happened. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I think the reason I learned that was because I was also in a native American studies class. So I'm learning about all these like genocides and these battles that, you know, you don't mm-hmm. hear about as a kid. So it just kind of blows my mind that it took a TV show like Watchmen, you know, 
for people to learn about it over, you know, 99 to 100 years later. And then Lovecraft Country did it as well, um, which was a, a 2021 show on HBO Max, too, where they show snippets of it. But it it's just I don't know. I just think it's so crazy. That it's not more spoken about. Yeah. I mean, and to, to drive that point home. So I, I went to Booker T. Washington High School, which was the the only African-American school at that point in time. And I didn't know. And I went there, graduated there. Like my parents went to the same school. Like we all went to that school, brother, sister, all of us. And I found out on the news in 2021 that they had the yearbook of the class that was there. And that and that the night of the massacre was supposed to be prom night for those students. What? So I'm sitting here thinking, one, how have I been here this entire time and didn't know it was prom night? That because that that puts a whole nother element to it, right? Yeah. But also. I never knew there was a yearbook from that. Like it just never occurred to me that I could have went to a library and saw the yearbook and saw the people who had that same lineage that I do. Never thought about that. And that's how suppressed it was. And this is 2008. I graduated high school in 2008. So this wasn't even that long ago. And that kind of shows you like people did not talk about it that much. I think um, I was watching again, if, if people you want to find more information about Kevin, there's a really great video. It's rich and regular and type in Kevin Matthews, but there's a great episode of y'all talking at like a diner or something. And you said, I think it was 84% of Oklahomans didn't know about mm-hmm. the Tulsa race massacre until 2021. Mm-hmm. That's just mind boggling. Like it's, it's not surprising, but it just, it doesn't sound right at all. Right. And I didn't, I don't think I would have thought that it was that high, but you know, when you look back at it, if you weren't in Tulsa, you probably didn't know about it, right? And if you weren't, you know, black in Tulsa, you 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 knew bits and pieces. But if you were on the, the other side of town, you may not have known. People in Oklahoma City might not have known. Um, and it wasn't something that was that was highly publicized, and definitely wasn't something that was talked about enough in history. Yeah, and then if you could too, because I don't think we've even mentioned it, could you just kind of summarize like the the night of it, like what yeah. it kind of occurred? Yeah, so most people will start the story by saying there's a man named Dick Rowland that um, stumbled in an elevator across uh, a white woman named Sarah Page. That's that's how they'll start the story. However, I think it's important to back up just a few years before that. So in, in Tulsa, there were two events where white mobs had either taken and hanged someone or tarred and feathered someone. So they're the mob justice, quote unquote, was running the the city of Tulsa. So then there was there was a white man that was actually lynched. Uh, I think this was 1919. So just two years before that that white mob was crazy. Okay, so you can imagine that two years later, when Dick Rowland runs into Sarah Page, he stumbles, she screams, and the newspaper immediately prints that he sexually assaulted her. So that mob went and he, he was eventually arrested. The mob met at the courthouse and wanted to, to take his life. Um, there were some Black men who were previous World War I veterans that came there to protect him because they knew, right? Yeah. Two years prior, they knew that the last two people that were in police custody got killed, right? They knew the last, or one person got killed, one person was attacked. They're like, there's no way we're going to allow this to happen here, so they met there. Those two groups uh, obviously are, are charged, right? Um, one white man tried to wrestle a gun um, from a black man. One shot rang out, and that's how the, the massacre began. 
and to to really paint the story you know the the advantage to there were more than i think it was like 20 to 25 white men for every one black man like it was the the numbers were not in favor at all there were planes using the attack um plenty of people shot and killed we the estimates are around 300 people 300 black people were killed in just 24 hours and then that's where most people stop the story and they'll say all right that was that was really bad that's what happened what happened after that within one week the city of tulsa the city council passed a law that made it more expensive for african-americans to build essentially saying that you need more expensive brick you need fire fireproof um you know walls and things like that even though they burned down the town, right? So you burn it down, now you say you need uh, certain materials make it more expensive to buy. So they burned it down, passed laws to make it very difficult to rebuild. And that is the, you know, the, the story in short. Yeah, that's, that's so crazy to me, man. Like everything that happened with people dying, but also, you know, the street, Black Wall Street as well, just kind of getting looted and burned and, and, all of the wealth that had been created that was lost immediately after. So like that doesn't just get rebuilt in, you know, five years or whatever. And I wanted to ask you too, like, gosh, like, has it even, you know, recovered from that time to like this day? In, in some ways, yes. And in some ways, no. So historically the African-American community did rebuild by 1923. However, right around that time, we started to kind of grow and rebuild between 1923 and 1925. Things were, some reports say it was back and better than what it was before, but then you actually hit the Great Depression, which is right around the 1930s. So that that took everything back down because remember, Tulsa was an oil town. And, and as you know, living in Texas, it's a, a boom and bust cycle. And once, once we hit the Great Depression, and those oil jobs were lost, that definitely hurt Black Wall Street that's around. Then once you hit the 1960s, 1970s, they built a highway through that area as well, which almost always goes through Black and Brown communities and really devastates the economic capacity. And after that, up until 2020 or so, it had been relatively dormant for African-Americans in the Greenwood District. Man, I don't, that's wild. Um want to pivot with you a little bit and thanks for sharing all of that too and it your book too is something i'm excited to, to read i know that rj young is also writing a book as well mm-hmm. um i i think it's over the over black wall street but it might be over something else regarding tulsa but i'm very excited to read those too um but i wanted to ask you with your own company where do you kind of see that going in the next couple of years the book itself no like uh building bread yeah um so i'm you know, the, it's, it's kind of funny because the business kind of moves in ways that you don't always expect. Um, like the market. So for example, yeah, like, like the market. Um, but for me, I definitely want to continue um, like public speaking engagements, things like that, and kind of doing more live uh, live shows and events in terms of like, you know, back in the day. I say back in the day as, you know, pre-pandemic. I'll say that. Uh, I want to kind of get back out and travel and do conferences and, and speeches like that again. That's definitely the, the direction I want to go. I've been fortunate to get a lot of really fun virtual gigs uh, for Google and Facebook and a few oh, others. But cool. I would, yeah, I, I would love to go, <laughs> you know, travel out there uh, when the world opens up a bit more. So that's that's the direction I prefer to go to. I can tell I'm, so I'm 28, but I can tell I'm getting older because when I was like 21 or 22, I would get excited when I would see like my favorite fitness influencers doing a video together, you know, or mm-hmm. like a, a training montage. And now I'm like, 
I want like rich and regular and you and Carmen to like do some cool, like event together. I, I, I would geek <laughs> out about that. So fingers yeah. crossed for that. Um, last two questions of the day for you, man. My, my first question is if you had your own podcast, which doesn't seem out of the realm for you, I feel like that would be like an area that you would go into, but if you had your own podcast, what would be your top two favorite companies you would want to reach out to you and say, Kevin, we love what you're doing. We want to sponsor you in the podcast. Ooh, man. Um, if I had a podcast, who would I want to reach out and sponsor me? Um, I definitely would want. So I, I think when I'm thinking about sponsorships, I think public is one. Like they're, they're my favorite investing app. Like that would be really fun. Um, that would be one. I think uh, maybe uh, Marvel. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> if I can get them to smile, that would be awesome. Um, those, those are the two that, that I think of are fun brands and companies. I think I fit like who I am and what I like. Um, I would love to get paid in equity. I think that would be fun as well, as opposed to like, hey, here's a check. I'm like, eh, no, nah, give me give me some shares of the company. I want some ownership in this thing. Yeah. That's um, so that yeah, those that's how I would I would view it. That's those are the two companies I would target. Did you enjoy Spider-Man? Oh, I absolutely did. Dude, I flipped. Like, yeah, I flipped twice. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I I went and saw it uh twice the same day. And I'm still trying to go a third time because my office like, oh, I heard it's so good. I want to go. I'm like, all right, you know, just book a time and we can go. Oh, yeah. uh, dude, I remember I was watching it for the first time. It was Friday, like afternoon when it got released. And mm-hmm. that scene where Ned is like, find Peter, and then you see a shot of Spider-Man in the alley. And mm-hmm. I started pointing because I was like, that's not that's not Tom Holland, man. He walked right, through right. it. So I, I flipped. Um, I love to hear that you love Marvel and all that. Um, my last question is, what inspires you? Whether it's something that you do in your daily work or it's something that you view in the community. Yeah, something that inspires me, um, I think, is is just progress. I think progress is what inspires me most. Mm-hmm. So it's you know, I'm, I'm really big on creating habits that, that last, like if it can last for 10 years, that'd be great. Right. Um, but being able to look back and say, wow, like I've really improved whether it's my, my net worth, whether it's, you know, some stocks I'm investing in or even my own content. Like there are times I'll look back like, Ooh, man, I was, I did not have a quality camera. Right. <laughs> you could tell that microphone or something like that. Um, and just being able to say, you know, five weeks from now, a year from now, I can look back and this is going to look a lot better. Um, so that, that progress and the, you know, the consistent transformation from A to B, from A to Z even, is something that continuously pushes me every day. I love that, man. That's, that's, I love, really like that progress answer. That's pretty cool. Um, Kevin, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on today, man. I really appreciate it. I know you're extremely busy. Um, so thank you so much for, for hopping on the podcast, man. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, And thank you to all the listeners for listening to another episode. We'll see you on the other side.